Welcome to Badass Digital Nomads, where we're pushing the boundaries of remote work and travel, all while staying grounded with a little bit of old school philosophy, self-development, and business advice from our guests. Good morning, afternoon, evening, everyone. Kristen from Traveling with Kristen here. And today we have a very special guest episode for you. Last week on the podcast, I had Mikkel Thorup on the show. He's the director of escapeartist.com and the host of the Expat Money Show podcast. He actually found me through one of my YouTube videos about the digital nomad visa in Estonia and then the Barbados one, and he reached out to get in touch. And we ended up chatting and scheduling interviews for both of our shows. So we did a bit of a podcast show swap. But it's not every day that I get to sit down and talk about travel, entrepreneurship, and the digital nomad lifestyle with someone else my same age who also has 20 years of experience as an expat. So this was a really special opportunity. And after I listened to my interview on his show, I reached out to Mikkel and asked if I could share that episode with all of you because I thought the conversation was so interesting. He asked really great questions and we both shared a lot of information and stories that wouldn't have otherwise come up. We riff on how to actually become an expat, of course, exactly what you need to do step by step, and also how to become a digital nomad. We went over which countries you can go to on just a passport and how long you can stay there without a visa. But we also talked about the basics of digital nomad visas and compared and contrasted if you need one and where. We also cover the best destinations and top hotspots for digital nomads to live in, the best co-working and co-living retreat options, and how much you should plan your escape or your trips in advance, if at all. We discuss different ways of how to meet people in foreign countries, and we also go a bit rogue and talk about why society puts up these barriers for you to live an unconventional life and how you can follow your dreams anyway. I hope you enjoy this guest episode of the Expat Money Show and also remember that you can watch many of the video interviews with my guests by becoming a patron of the podcast for just $5 per month at patreon.com slash traveling with Kristen. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. 
Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe. This is the Expat Money Show. And today we are going to be speaking with someone who has been a full-time digital nomad and expat for more than 15 years, traveling to more than 60 countries, and has helped thousands of people to move, retire, and work abroad. At an early age, her mission was to discover an alternative to the typical American dream, the nine-to-five way of life. She always struggled with the simple question, what do I want to be when I grow up? and decided that one day she would want to invent her own job. And that's what she did. Today, her goal is to help others become location independent and stay that way for as long as their heart desires. Please welcome to the show, Kristen Wilson. Kristen, how are you? Very well, thank you so much for that nice intro. My pleasure. Kristen, why don't you take a couple of minutes and kind of give us a bit of your backstory. How did you become a digital nomad? How did you become an expat? What were those deciding factors that drove you in this direction? Sure. Well, actually, back back in the day, back uh, when I was growing up, there were no such thing as digital nomads. And so I think it was really hard for me to define what it is I like to do and what it is I wanted to be. And that's why I declared to my parents that I would invent my own job because I used to take those um, at school, like the personality tests or the career inventory test. And I was a straight A student, but I would fail (laughs) those tests. Like I would fill out the, you know, standardized form and wait like weeks to get my results back. And then they would come and everybody in my middle school or high school would like open the test results and see, are they going to be a doctor or a lawyer or a forest ranger or a fireman or whatever? And mine would just come back undefined or like unable to match you with a career. And I was like, what's that about? How is that even a thing? So I would get really frustrated and tell my parents, like, if there's no job out there for me, then I'll just make my own. But there was no such thing as the internet yet. (laughs) So, or at least it wasn't available to the everyday average person. Um, And there was no such thing really as perpetual travel unless you were like a backpacker or a hippie or a retiree. Um, So I started traveling anyway back in high school for surfing. So I used to be a competitive surfer. And then I studied abroad in college in Australia and Costa Rica with the purposes of becoming a professional surfer. And that's kind of how I fell into the concept of being an expat. And so when it came to what do I want to do in life, even though I couldn't figure out what job I wanted to do, my goal was just to find a job that would allow me to either travel a lot or live in foreign countries. And um, I never actually found that through college. I just majored in international business and then I went on to get an MBA because I still couldn't figure out what to do and I was trying to buy myself more time. Um, But once I graduated from the business school program at UCF in Orlando, Florida, I was interviewing for jobs at like corporations, you know, the normal stuff like that. And a friend of a friend who knew that I had studied abroad in Costa Rica contacted me to help him open a real estate office in Costa Rica because he knew that I learned Spanish and he needed help. So I decided to go there for one year. (laughs) That was in 2005. And I never looked back after that. So one thing led to another. And, you know, I think I was 21 or 22 at the time. 
And I just figured out that I was living life in the reverse. Like I started living as a retired expat in my early twenties <laughs> and all of my clients were like 65 and up multimillionaires who were coming to invest like seven, eight figures in property. And I was like, I think that either one of us is doing this wrong. <laughs> like either I'm supposed to wait, make millions of dollars and then come back. Or I could just stay here living on one or $2,000 a month and like live the rest of my life in paradise. And so I chose that. So how long were you in Costa Rica for them? Um, about seven or eight years. So I stayed in Costa Rica working in real estate and that was through the real estate boom and crash. And I had invested in, um, so I helped open a Coldwell Banker office in Costa Rica in a town called Nosara, which some of your listeners might know. It's kind of like the, um, there's a lot of people from New York City. There's a lot of health and wellness and yoga retreats. So Playa Guiones, Nosara area. It's a very remote dirt road. I think it still has a dirt road <laughs> to get there. It was like four or five hours from San Jose, the capital. And then I invested in a Century 21 franchise in Nicaragua. And so that brought me to Nicaragua for a few years of working through the different offices there. And then I sold my shares and moved back to Costa Rica to work for myself and then I opened my own relocation company in 2011. So I had a good like seven or eight years of real estate experience um, before I decided to open a company to help other people move to foreign countries because that was the part that I loved doing, not necessarily like the buying and selling of the houses, but I really liked helping people escape from the US, Canada, Europe, wherever they were and start over in, an, in another country. And ironically, that is exactly what I had studied in the year 2003 when I was studying abroad in Australia at Griffith University. I was studying international human resources and how to relocate expatriate corporate executives to different wow. countries. So it all kind of came full circle and it wasn't until... 2013 that one of my clients told me that I was a digital nomad. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> I didn't even know what that was. And, you know, in hindsight, now I have the original book on my bookshelf published in 1997 when I was a freshman in high school called Digital Nomad. And um, I've just kind of dedicated my life to this concept of location independence and freedom ever since, as these have been the highest values for me in my life since I was a little kid. Yeah, I love this because personally, I don't necessarily identify myself as a digital nomad. I've always used the term expat. And I think that you've kind of done both because in Costa Rica, if you were there for eight years and you built your life there and a business there, you were really an expat. You were really oh, yeah. like entwining yourself in that community. Um, I don't know if there's like a strict definition of a digital nomad, but what I always picture a digital nomad is not having a residency in a place, staying kind of on that tourist visa and doing more of the flag theory, perpetual traveler type of, of lifestyle. Is that kind of the way that you see it or do you use the two terms interchangeably or what, what's your uh, experience tell you? I see them, I, I see digital nomadism as a scale. 
between, um, I guess, your normal life and your expat life? Well, I guess expat life would be in the middle. So there's your extreme digital nomads who are your homeless by choice, off the grid, flag theory, no tax domicile, no address, like living out of a carry-on bag for 20 plus years. There are a lot of people, well, not a lot, but there are people like that. Um, And then in the middle, you have the expats that are just living abroad, but they're living a normal day-to-day life in a foreign country. But a lot of digital nomads these days are doing something in the middle where they are nomadic, but they're slow traveling. So they might go to a place for three months or six months or even one year. I I consider being an expat, someone who's like living somewhere for a year at least, like, and they have a home base. But a lot of digital nomads now are keeping a home base and traveling part-time. And I think it just depends on the phase of life that you're in. Um, But I definitely see expats as being different because they're committing to a country and setting up a home base for a number of years. And typically expats are working in a physical office in that country, but digital nomads can become expats if they settle in a given country. And then as more years have passed with technology allowing for digital nomadism, more people have decided, okay, these are the countries that I really like, and these are the ones that I wanna go back to and maybe I will rent a house long-term here or rent a few houses around the world that I can spend like half the year in each one and then rent it when I'm not there. And so I think that's what we're going to see as like more the new normal moving forward. I really don't think that the full-time 100% nomad with no home is going to appeal to the mainstream person. Yeah, I would agree with that. And Add to that, like, I'm an, I'm a full-time expat in that I go into a community and integrate myself there. But at the same time, I'm an entrepreneur. I don't go into an office. I have a home office. You know, I build my own business. So in that regard, I'm probably more of the digital nomad side. Like, I'm not a corporate executive who, you know, works with an oil company and goes overseas to see a new division or to open up an area because there are that style of expat, which is cool. You know, that's, that's a great thing as well. But I mean, that's never been, well, that's not really my style either. So I think that it's important uh, for people to understand you can do any of a combination of these types of things, whether that's the remote working, being an entrepreneur, working for someone else, traveling nonstop, slow traveling, staying in one place. I mean, there's no real hard and fast rules on these types of things. You can, you can kind of make it up as you go along. Definitely. And don't listen to anyone who tells you whether you're a digital nomad or not. Like it's something that you self-identify. It's like your, your gender identity. Like no one can tell you what you are. Only you know. You're not expat enough. (laughs) No, it doesn't exist. (laughs) And you know, there's expats that don't work because they're retired. They're just like expats who move to a different country. And then at what point do those expats become immigrants? Do they have to stay there for a number of years? Do they have to get permanent residency? Do they have to get a citizenship after 10 years? Like there's no exact definition, just like if you buy citizenship on some island that you've never been to, like, are you really an, you know, 
a, like you're a citizen of that country, but are you a resident of that country? So yeah, it's all a sliding scale. And there have been periods in my life where I definitely identified as an expat in like Costa Rica and Nicaragua and in that community. And then there were other years where I was fully nomadic and I was in a different country every month or sometimes every week, which was very exhausting, which I don't recommend. <laughs> and then there have also been periods in between where I've maintained a home base in the United States. And I have come like a few months a year to the US. And then now there's the quarantine where for the first time since I was 19 years old, I'm like living in the US for an entire year. And to be honest, I kind of love it. I'm in Coconut Grove, Miami. And it's completely tropical and beautiful. And I'm like a block from the water. There's like sailboats and jet skis and peacocks walking around and like <laughs> coffee shops and brunch outside on the patio and like old trees and houses from the 1800s. And it's just like a really cool place to be. And I'm like, I'm still a digital nomad at heart, but I'm really enjoying being in my home state in a, in a city that I've never lived in before. And so there's and I think also that, that. I think that's an important part, you know, the fact that although you are in your home state, you're not back in your hometown. You're not trying to fit into your quote unquote old life with, you know, maybe friends you went to school with or everybody that you knew before and pretend that 15, 20 years didn't happen in between. You know, I think that yeah. that's kind of, that's quite a challenging thing to do. And the other thing is, just being like a minimalist, like having a minimalist lifestyle, not in the way that I have a house that has no furniture in it or something like that. But you, I know that you're like this as well. I've listened to some of your podcasts and with some of your other guests, and there's been this theme of people who, of course, real estate investing can be very lucrative, but there's also a lot of people who don't want that kind of like monthly administration that comes with owning properties. And so when you don't have a mortgage and you don't live in a house and you don't have a car payment and all of those other things, it just gives you this like freedom where even though I'm completely content and I'm here right now through December, I know that at the end of December, if I want to stay longer, I can. Or if I want to go to another country, I can. And just like you rent a beautiful penthouse in Panama City, you know that if you want to, you can gather your family up and move to another part of Panama if you want to. And you don't have to like sell that house or, you know, sell that condo or like worry about where to store all of your stuff. Like I, that's why I don't even own any furniture. <laughs> I don't have anything, no car. I used to, but no car, no furniture, no house. Like I have like a couple investment properties with long-term renters. Don't have to worry about it. Very hands-off. And I just feel a lot less stress, I think during the pandemic, because I don't have to maintain all of these expenses. Absolutely. It was funny when I actually got to Panama and, you know, I have so many people, so many friends of mine that are in the real estate industry and we've invested in real estate for many years. Um, the first question was like, oh, are, you know, do you want me to show you around? We'll help you buy a place here. I'm like, we're not buying a place here. Or even if we were going to buy a place, it wouldn't be our primary residence. You know, I have no problem with buying investment properties, but I'm not buying my primary residence in Panama, especially as soon as I get here. I mean, I want to check the place out and live. And I don't think I would ever buy my primary residence again. Like there's, 
I just don't see any real need for it. Yeah. I want to have the mobility that I can move and change. And, you know, if a pipe breaks, it's it's the landlord's fault. He can <laughs> fix that. That's nothing to do with me. I pay my rent on time. Um, uh, we have gone a little bit crazy with the furniture uh, here. This is the first time in my life that we've done so much. Um, we looked at getting furnished places when we first arrived and then just hated the furniture. So we decided to... To, to get all our own furniture ourselves. But I think that our plan, and, and we've just had Daniel Prince on the show talking about home, uh, Love Home Swap, which I think is such a brilliant opportunity that we'll probably do something like that where you know, we'll be able to travel for six months of the year or eight months of the year and have our place and swap or Airbnb so that we can keep the furniture um, but not feel tied to the one place, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I think that even if you fall in love with a place at first, you don't know how you're going to feel in a few years. And maybe that sounds like some type of commitment phobia, but I think it's really just more mobility and yeah. keeping your options open. And I just feel really spoiled. And I'm sure you do too, because you've been to so many countries. Like There is no one perfect country in the world. There's pros and cons to living in each place. And you don't have to get married to that country and stay there forever. And I've been really spoiled the past few years. I got really into snowboarding. So I've been um, spending the winters in different ski resorts around the world. And like, that's been working really well for me. So like one year in Japan, one year in Colorado, one year in Bulgaria and Canada and like, I like that lifestyle, but like maybe I get sick of snowboarding one time and I want to like go to Mexico instead for the winter or something like that, you know? So it's, it's just nice to have that. And, you know, of course with a family, it's a little bit different, but you can still have like a comfortable place, make it work in Panama and then do like the home swapping or something like that. There's trusted house sitters where you can just go and watch somebody's dog or cat or horse and stay in their house for free. Um, there's a lot of ways when you're doing this type of long-term travel or expat hybrid lifestyle where you can live with a average cost of living in pretty much any country because you're not living there like a tourist. So I think that's the big takeaway for people is that they can kind of design this lifestyle the way that works for them. And if other people don't like it, that's their problem. You know, it's your life. You do what you want, live where you want and um, make the most of it. Absolutely. And you hit the nail on the head there uh, in your earlier point that, you know, all countries, all locations have ups and downs, positives and negatives. You know, sometimes I get flack from people if I recommend Nicaragua and they're like, oh, how could you recommend Nicaragua and Ortega and this and that? And I'm like, okay, I try to see things from the positive point of view. You know, I try to look at all the good things. Um, I lived in the Middle East for eight years. Oh, how could you, how could you do that? It's women's rights and you have to have a headscarf and women can't drive. Actually, you have no clue what you're talking about because I lived in the UAE, which has nothing right. to do with it's any of those Saudi things. Arabia. So, <laughs> it's not Saudi Arabia. It's not Saudi Arabia. So first of all, shut up. Second of all, um, you know, there's, there's negatives and positives to everything. I try to always focus on the good things. And if the, the negative things overwhelm the good things for me, you know, well, maybe that's a good opportunity to change or to leave or to move to somewhere else. I think that actual 
journey of experiencing things fresh and new, that is the exciting part for me. I'm not searching for that one perfect place, you know, that's going to hit, tick all the boxes. Even if I ever found that, I'd get bored. I'd want to go somewhere else. I like the change. And I think with a lot of expats and digital nomads, I, I believe they feel the same. We will just take a quick break. I am so happy to announce that the Expat Money Show is going back to weekly. When you wake up every single Friday morning, you will see a brand new episode of the show waiting for you in your favorite podcasting app. And this couldn't come at a better time because we are about to celebrate our 100th episode of the show. And I want to do something really special for you. So what I thought might be fun is I'm going to interview myself. Mikkel interviews Mikkel, if you will. And you, my amazing audience, are going to decide on the questions. All you have to do to participate is head over to Apple Podcasts, smash that subscribe button, and leave us a five-star review. While you're there, I want you to write your question at the bottom of your review, and I will give you a shout-out and answer your question live on episode 100. Really, it's unbelievable to think that we are at almost 100 episodes of the show. So to show your love, I want you to go to Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review, ask your question so I can answer it live on episode 100. I'm super excited about this. Thank you so much for being a listener. Okay, let's jump back into the episode. Yeah, and there's a, a fine line between using travel as a way to like procrastinate in your life or using it as a diversion and using it as just a way to have that variation and adventure. Um, I am a big fan of Stoic philosophy and there is a, a essay by Seneca, the Stoic philosopher on travel. And he talks about how, um, you know, the very wealthy Romans during those times, like more than 2000 years ago, they used to go on these long journeys where they were kind of looking for something or looking for an escape. And he warns them not to try to escape from themselves because they can't like wherever they go, they're with themselves. And that's something that I have experienced a few times where I'm like, okay, am I traveling like just for the sake of traveling? And is it, is it like, am I avoiding something? Am I trying to stay really busy or distract myself? Or am I really going here for this like enriching experience? So that's not something that many people have to worry about, but it does happen more often. And now. what did you come up with? Well, yeah, sometimes I was definitely overdoing it where I was going places really quickly and I couldn't even see the place that I was. And that's a criticism that a lot of digital nomads get because people say, okay, you move from place to place it's very privileged. You're not uh, investing in the local area. You're not getting to know the people and the locals. You're not participating in the local economy. And, you know, that can be true, but it's, it's like anything, like there's pros and cons to every country. There's two sides to every story. Um, And there's nothing like better or worse about digital nomads versus regular tourists and travelers, but it just depends what you're looking for. Like, when you mentioned Nicaragua, um, I lived there full time for about a year and yeah, there were things that I loved. Like I loved living on the beach. I had a view of El Salvador and the mountains and I could see the volcanoes and whales and I could surf outside my house and I could buy lobster off the beach for like 
$3 a pound and the fishermen would just hang out in my front yard. But then there was like the traffic in Managua and the riots and the, you know, instability of the government and then the poverty and the lines, like waiting in line to do anything. Um, There's some things that you can get like a proxy or a power of attorney for, but I remember calling my mom, I think I was like 24 years old. And I have this very vivid memory of waiting in line before the bank opened. I think it was like 7 a.m. because the sun comes up at like 5 a.m. in Central America. And I was just waiting because if you got there too late, like the line would be even longer. So it was better to wait in the morning when it was cooler. (laughs) Uh, This was before like online banking and stuff. And I called her and I was like, I'm too young to be wasting my life waiting in these lines. And (laughs) I I moved shortly thereafter, but not until after I had explored like the whole country and the volcanoes and the wine uh, valleys and the islands and stuff. But then I just felt like it was time to move on. And all I wanted was a paved road and a cappuccino, you know, and air conditioning and electricity. Like I wanted those little basic things of life. Um, so I guess long story short, like there is, there is a way to integrate in, into each place. Um, but I don't think that people should feel bad at, about the pace that they're traveling. It's just for each person individually, like if you feel tired or worn down or lonely or um, disconnected from the people around you, whether they're expats or locals, then it's probably time to like look inside and see what's going on. But I would still, I guess, prefer that to like the standard rat race lifestyle. No doubt. I remember back in I don't even know what year it was, early, early 2000s, 2002 probably. And I had just came off of 18 months of solid backpacking through Latin America. And I mean, giant red backpack, tent, and hitchhiking and chicken busing it all through Central and South America. And I got to Los Angeles. Um, I flew up to Los Angeles to visit with a friend. Um, So I stayed there for a couple of months with her. And I remember opening up the refrigerator and having like a thousand choices of things that we could make. And it was just like trying random food because basically I had been in youth hostels or camping for a year and a half. We never, I never had a fridge that I could open. So I remember like trying jam and jelly and mustard and making sandwiches and just being like, oh my God, this is the greatest thing ever. Because it was just so different than what I had been experiencing for a year and a half, you know? So, I mean, you will get to points where it's like, I can't do this anymore. I need something totally different. I need to go back to something familiar. So I totally get that. And luckily now with technology, you really never have to, well, you lose that adventure of being lost in the wilderness, but you don't have to be disconnected. So it's like wherever you are to be able to FaceTime a friend or a family member versus hiking to a payphone with a calling card, like a disposable scratch off calling card, like those days are over. So, you know, now it's going to be interesting because during the pandemic, it's like everything got pushed forward, I feel like time kind of collapsed on itself. And like the future of 10 years from now is happening now, not just to the sickness, but 
the fact that people are much more isolated now because everyone's working from home or most people are working from home and ordering stuff, delivery to their houses because they can't or don't want to go outside. And um, so people are starting to feel like really isolated in their home countries. And that is a feeling that you can get when you're backpacking and like hitchhiking around. You can kind of feel like just kind of alone in the world. But now, you know, people are need to find ways to stay connected. So it's almost like everyone's going through a boot camp right now of what it could be like after the pandemic if they want to go out and travel. This is like their emergency preparedness time and confronting these hardships so that then they can maybe have money saved up and feel like mentally, physically, financially ready to go out and explore when it's safe to start traveling again and, uh, and go on some adventures because that's really what life is about. People have to understand there is going to be pre-coronavirus and post-coronavirus. This is kind of, this is like a moment in history and it's an excellent opportunity for people to pivot and, and give them that kick in the butt to make a change that maybe they've wanted to do for a very long period of time. You know, it's not going to be this, you know, oh, 10 years just got away from me. It's like you have a pause right now. Spend a bit of time, reflect and decide if this is what you want. If you want to go back to your own life, if you want to do something new. You know, people are learning how to work remotely at the moment. You're being forced into it. People are learning how to homeschool their kids, to, to do so many different things online. Now you just need to decide if you want to take it one step further, it's, it's a lot of the work you've already done yourself or a lot of the work has been done for you. Now it's like, decide. Yeah, that's a very, very important point because this is a disruption and it is a pause and it is an opportunity, but still people will notice that they're not hearing this kind of messaging in the mainstream media. Everything is about the coronavirus, um, vaccines, like it's I'm like, I'm not paying attention until the vaccine is done, you know, and then I will make a decision about that. But it's coronavirus, vaccines, politics, like it's always bad stuff. And even though there's no school shootings right now, very few terrorist attacks, I haven't heard of any at least, and I'm not sure really what's going on with the, the wars right now. I feel like the coronavirus is kind of like overtaken everything else for sure but we're not that and the u.s elections those are the two major the u.s elections but you don't have anyone out there saying get in shape boost your immune system um save money start your side hustle and follow your dreams and that is what i want people to do who are listening to this and i wrote an article that went viral on medium called the coronavirus pandemic proves that society was wrong about how to live life. And I list a list of lies that society has told us either directly, overtly, or just kind of that we absorb from, you know, being alive in the, in the Western world or in the first world. And I just talk about why each one of those is wrong. And I think it went viral for that reason, because it resonated with people. They're like, yeah, this is all the BS that people told me I had to do and that I was supposed to do. And now that the world is ending or whatever, you know, that the the normal life that we had has, has disappeared overnight. It's like all of these lies are becoming very apparent, but there's no 
plan B, like the society that told us that we had to do all of the things that you have to do and live in the linear way, retire at 62 and a half and blah, blah, blah. They are not in a position to give us the plan B. That plan B comes from inside each person and there is no right or wrong answer. And this is one of the things that I find so enthralling and intriguing on my YouTube channel. Um, I started a YouTube channel about two years ago called Traveling with Kristen. And I get really interesting comments on videos. I've done videos on like all the countries I've been to in the last two years. And I just see like little kids. One guy today was 71 years old commenting on a video. And it's like, this person wants to live in Japan. This person wants to go to Germany. This person wants to live in an RV and travel around North America. And it's like, everyone has a different idea of what they want to do. That's coming from their soul. That's coming from their personality, their intuition. That's not coming from external. And I just love to see how like somebody in India is dreaming about living in Tokyo or, you know, like any combination that you can come up with. So I just hope that people take that and run with it. Like whatever it is that they've been thinking about doing, like just try it. Absolutely. Have faith in yourself, have enough self-confidence that you can do this because honestly you can, you know, it's not about having everything figured out in advance or being the most prepared or the most planned. Like go out there and try and you will learn along the way. I mean, that's, that's part of the fun. That's part of the enjoyment is, is putting it all together. And then afterwards, I mean, you get that self-accomplishment. You get that pride. Sure as shit, I am proud of the travel that I've done. I am proud of the experiences of driving through Africa or going to North Korea or spending weeks in Iran or, you know, like all the cool things that I've done, they weren't easy. Like really, that, that's not vacation. Those things are hard, but they're fun and they're rewarding and it shapes you and develops you as a human being. And I mean, if you don't put yourself through those types of trials, I think it's a shame. I, I really do. I think it's a shame. And, it, and, and I will preface it saying that if you don't want to do any of these things, if you don't want to go out there and travel or be a digital nomad or an expat or anything like that, that's fine. I'm not telling you how to li live your life or what to do. But I mean, for those people who want to do something, I want to inspire you. I want my guests to inspire you. I want you to feel like you can do it because I believe you can. Yeah, I, I would say that the first few years that I lived abroad, well, not when I studied abroad because I always thought I was going to come back to the U.S., but when I really moved abroad, I was very tentative about it because th there were not many examples of people my age doing that. Like my friends were telling me that I was wasting my degree, that I was ruining my resume and blah, 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 blah. And I was just like, well, this feels right. So I'm going to keep doing it and I'm having fun. And I, I drive around on a four wheeler and I live at the beach and I watch the <laughs> sunset every day. And like, I'm just going to stay one more year and one more year. And then eventually I got enough self-confidence and felt like empowered enough to know that even if I was going in the opposite direction of everyone else, all of my peers, I just felt good about what I was doing and I didn't care anymore what anyone thought. And um, that, that was very freeing. And so sometimes people need like, 
like that permission because they're not going to get it from like the status quo from their teachers, their parents, their mentors, their, the politicians, like if the politicians and the, you know, powers that be had it their way, you would just be like sitting on the couch, watching Netflix every day, consuming a bunch of stuff, watching presidential debates and buying stuff online and contributing to that economy. And like, just being there, paying your taxes, spending money, like they don't want you to go out and live on less money and explore the world and get an international education because then that could dismantle the whole system if everybody is very educated about how the world actually operates. I, I felt like I spent a good 10 or 12 years on learning everything that I had learned in school <laughs> and like replacing it with information that I felt like was more accurate. <laughs> and um, now that I live in this, I just moved in a few days ago to this house in Miami and I haven't had a TV since 2007, I think, or 2006 is when I gave up my TV because I was like, I live in Costa Rica in this ocean view house. I'm not going to be spending my days like watching TV. I need to be outside. So I actually moved to a smaller house. <laughs> I was closer to the beach with no TV. So I really have like kind of lived, of course, I've had them in like Airbnbs and stuff like that or hotel rooms. But this is the first time I've had like a smart TV. And I am shocked that you don't even have to press the on button there's a Netflix button on the remote. Wow, really? You just press Netflix and the oh TV turns on and it goes to Netflix. And I'm like, this is too much. Like, it's too easy. Yeah. Too convenient. Yeah, yeah, that is a trap. <laughs> so everybody <laughs> don't fall into the trap. Yeah, sometimes I feel like the way that things are set up is to have people, to, to raise a society of people who are so specialized on doing one or two things at an extraordinary level, but then like can't tie their shoes. You know, like they can't cook themselves dinner or take care of themselves. They don't want well-rounded human beings that can do a number of different things who've changed careers and can really sustain themselves and think for themselves. I feel sometimes like once again, like you said, like the powers that be, whether that's the deep state, that's the government, that's the, I'm not sure what name you want to put on it, but I mean, they don't want you to have this full picture of what is happening in the world. They want you to be, okay, the brain surgeon, but you know, doesn't know how to turn on the washing machine, doesn't know how to manage a credit card or do your own banking or make uh, decisions about the politicians who should be governing the country. I think it's really interesting because I find that a lot of the expats and digital nomads and people who have been out there in the world and traveled extensively have a more holistic view of the world and a more holistic approach to the way that things are done, whether that be your health or your education or any any type of example, I think that it fits. Definitely. I mean, even the this is some of the things I put in that article, like the, just the idea of the U.S. being the quote unquote best country in the world. I mean, we could spend like a day just dismantling that. I mean, the best healthcare system, the best, like you can't just say that we're the best at everything, but that's yeah. what they do. We're the free, freest country in the world. And I'm like, you go look at any freedom index. You Like the U.S. is not top three. It's not top five. It's not top 10. Maybe it's top 20. I think it's plus 20 in freest countries in the world by any standard, by any measurement um, on these indexes. I'm like, yeah. 
and, and I like being able to, I don't want to give up my U.S. passport because my family is here. Uh, but there, it's not a coincidence that the U.S. is one of two countries in the world with a citizenship-based taxation system. Like, they don't want you to be able to move away and change your tax domicile and, like, disconnect from the country. So the last time I checked, it was like, even if you gave up your passport, I think that you could still even be audited for 10 years after that or something like that. Like there's all of these other caveats. Allegedly, I have to research that again, but they just wanted to make it like as difficult as possible. And it's definitely not a coincidence also that we didn't get classes on like personal finance and like, why is the voting system so complicated if everybody has the right to vote? Like, why don't they make that easier? Yeah, no personal finance classes, nothing on like, how to set up a retirement account or how to buy a car or how to like use credit cards or anything really like any of the practical skills, how to change a tire. <laughs> like, well, I guess you don't have to do that much anymore, but yeah, I felt like I kind of had that crash course in life um, by traveling. And that's why people say that it is the best education, but I just think that people can get burnt out on constant travel because they have like the, if they have like passive income, like ultimate freedom, location independence, financial independence, and then they go out into the world and they have all of that. And then they realize like, oh, I'm still me. I'm still human. They still have to like reconcile with that also. So it's like, this is the goal. I think like the ultimate goal of like living in modern day society, but also tempered with- You still have all your baggage at the same time that you're still going to have to deal with at some point. For sure. Spiritual aspect, like philosophical aspect of life, relationships um, with people. I mean, there's so many things. It's the rabbit hole, but that is the journey of life. So I think it's just knowing that you can have all of this and then just kind of keep going and and being curious about what's going to happen the next year and the next year. And I was actually telling somebody the other day that you could ask me where I was or what I was doing like any month in any year, pretty much since maybe like the year 2000 when I graduated high school, because I identify each or I associate each physical place that I was with a time in my life, with the age, like location, context. And so traveling gives you this other like layer of experience and context with life where things don't just blend together. Like you were saying, the last 10 years can just pass people by. Like when you're traveling or when you're living in another place, it's like being a kid again. Like your senses get on high alert and you have to stay on your toes and and basically stay aware of your surroundings and constantly be like learning and growing and changing and relating to people and and learning about the environment and so that's i think that's something that's really good for us as humans just like easier now versus riding around on camels and horses and walking <laughs> now i agree with you 100 percent. you're absolutely right so i want to dig into some of the practical things for being a digital nomad what are some of the things that people should keep in mind? They understand now that, you know, the opportunities are there and they're going to have a chance to go out there and do this. 
let's maybe dig first into the visas because we we touched on it really quickly, you know, about being on a tourist visa or a residency or a citizen. Or what's your advice to people or what do you think people should know and understand if they want to pursue a digital nomad lifestyle? Um, so the first thing I think that everybody should know before getting into the visa stuff is that anyone can be a digital nomad and anyone can be an expat. You don't need any special permission. You don't usually need a special visa. You only really need the desire to go somewhere and a passport and money, right? So you need some way to fund this. Although you could totally do it on a shoestring, although that would be basically backpacking or hitchhiking. Being a digital nomad connotes that you are employed in some way, whether you're self-employed or you own a business or you have a remote job. So you want to make sure you have some stream of income coming in or an idea or a plan of how you're going to do that. Um, but you could also work physically in another country once you got there. That's a whole nother story. But so you need to have a passport, the desire to go somewhere and some form of income. So in most places with, let's say you have a passport from a generally accepted safe country. So we're talking the US, Canada, anywhere in Europe, Japan, a lot of Latin American countries, South Korea, like any countries that, that are safe. Um, this is a whole nother political thing as to why, you know, there's good people from all countries, but you know, if you have a certain passport, it's like the black death. Like you can't go anywhere with it without applying for a visa. Like if it's Russia or if you're from Afghanistan or something like that, or Syria. Or China, like yeah, my wife. it's a headache. 81 countries for a Chinese passport. I mean, that's less than half of a, a US yeah. or Canadian or Australian. So or that's Israel. unfortunate, yeah. but no matter what passport you have, you can probably go to X number of countries with just the passport and stay for anywhere from 90, no, from 30 days to 180 days. So um, for people who aren't familiar, like some, like Bali, I think, Thailand, some Caribbean islands will only allow people to stay with a passport for like 30 days. Then there's other countries like Canada where um, you can go for up to 180 days per calendar year. It's the same with um, U.S. citizens going to the U.K., for example, or what's more often than not typical is 90 days. So that's uh, Costa Rica, Nicaragua, a lot of countries in Latin America and the Caribbean, um, the Schengen countries, uh, the Schengen zone in Europe, and then other European countries. So if you go to the Schengen area of Europe, you can stay for 90 days, but once that 90 days is up, which can be consecutive or it can be spaced out throughout 180 days, then you can go to another non-Schengen European country like uh, Bulgaria or Ukraine or Belarus or somewhere in the Balkans or something like that. So you can just go live your life with your passport in a different country. Now, if you want to stay longer, there's a lot of different ways that you can actually extend your stay. In some places, it could be as easy as leaving and coming back in. In other places, you have to apply for an extension. And sometimes you can get like a duplicate extension or one month, or some places you can apply for a study visa. Like I have clients, um, my relocation clients who have applied for study permits in places like Thailand and Hungary, 
where they go to learn the language, well, they're also working online and they're going on adventures and they're traveling around, but they want to stay longer. So they get the study permit. So there's a lot of different hacks that you can do aside from the digital nomad visas. And then if you find a place that you love and you want to stay there forever or for like years, then you can apply for a work permit or a residency or something like that. But I've been traveling with no special permits like my whole life. <laughs> so as long as long as you move somewhere. Wow, really? Like as long as you move often enough or leave the country often enough, like you can go to Mexico for six months. Even in eight years in Costa Rica? Yeah. All, all I did was I left wow. every three months. Whether I went to Nicaragua for work, I was only two hours from the border, or if I flew to Florida to visit my family, or if I went to like Colombia or Honduras or some other place, I would just go somewhere for like the weekend and come back in. It kept me from working too hard. But, and I have clients that have been (laughs) in places like Mexico for 10 years. They just leave once or twice a year and they come back in. There's no restrictions. Um, but now you can like officially stay in some places longer. So Barbados announced a digital nomad visa and Estonia announced about the same time, like within a few days of each other. And then a bunch of other countries jumped on board because they saw all of the free press that these countries were getting. It's like good for their country profile, good for tourism. Um, so then Georgia announced one. Have they announced? We were waiting for the Georgia one to come out. I haven't seen the official announcement yet, but we, we knew that was coming. Yeah, I'll send you the link for it because um, I found it for a video that I was making. Well, and I'll make sure I put that in the show notes for Kristen's episode at expatmoneyshow.com because that's a new one for me. I'm, I, I knew the rumors. I knew that it was coming a Georgia one, but I hadn't seen the announcement. So that's, that's amazing. Yeah. So I actually haven't been to Georgia. It's been on my list for a really long time, but um, that looks like a good place. I think Georgia's is 180 days. Um, Estonia's is one year and um, Barbados is one year. And then I think, was it Bermuda announced or Aruba? I always get those confused. And then now um, apparently Indonesia is thinking about it. There's a petition going around because there's a lot of digital nomads in Bali. Um, Portugal's considering one. So I think, you know, more countries will will do it because people, I mean, countries are going to have to start competing for remote workers to support the economy rather than just companies putting their headquarters there to create jobs. So, but the good thing, like for people to know, if you want to live in Barbados for one year, you can apply for the visa, but it costs a few thousand dollars to apply. The Barbados you, one's expensive. There's no yeah. doubt about that. Like you could also just go with your passport for six months and then leave, <laughs> you know, like maybe you just want to go for six months and then go to a different island. And um, with Estonia, it's a lot cheaper. So I see that one being more useful. It's only like, I think it was like 80 euro or hundred euro or something like that. And that's pretty useful if you want a home base in Europe for a year, and then you can travel to other Schengen countries and use Estonia as your home base. But you could just as easily do that with a non-Schengen country in Europe. Like I lived in Bulgaria for three months, and then I went to Amsterdam for three months, and then I went back to Bulgaria, and then I went to France. Like as long as you go back and forth every three months, some people don't want to do that. So basically if you want to stay someplace for like 
180 days or a year and you don't want to move around, then these digital nomad visas are nice, but they're also kind of gimmicky because these countries aren't realistically going to stop you from working from your laptop there. It's only if you're going to physically work in the country, like for another company or in person doing something that could take jobs away from locals. That's where you need like a work permit. But most countries, I mean, if you're going in with your passport and your laptop and you're going for tourism, like you can just work on your computer while you're there. Yeah. I've done the exit and enter type of things at several countries that I did live in for extended periods of time. But I think in almost every country that I lived in, I had permanent residency in. Because you had a work permit. Yeah, I had a work permit when I lived in Australia. But I also did the working holiday visas, which are open to Canadians. So I did a working holiday in Australia and a working holiday in New Zealand, which were each uh, one year. And then when I was in Australia, I did the exit and enter. So every three months, I would go to a different Caribbean, different Caribbean, different South Pacific island, uh, and then re-enter Australia. And then I got a 457 um, skilled migrant worker visa. I don't even, I think it does exist right now, but I think the stipulations are extremely difficult at the moment. And then stayed on for another year as that. But I mean, most of the countries that I lived in, I got permanent residency, which just allowed me to live there full-time indefinitely for as long as I kept the visa up and running. Like Panama, now I'm on a friendly nations visa. And as long as I visit the country one day every two years, my residency is open and there is no additional fees. There is nothing. I could have this residency for the rest of my life and come and go out of the country without any problems. That's a really good one. I wish more countries had that visa. There's some, like, there's one with the Netherlands and Canada and the US and a few countries where you can get like a five-year work permit, but it's more expensive. And then everyone should just check each country. I just recommend that people go to the country for a few months. If you find out that you don't want to leave, then, you know, start the process of like, Figuring exactly. out how and you can once stay you longer. meet other expat friends, you'll be able to go. So, what kind of visa are you on? How are you staying? What what did work? What didn't work? You know, work with a company there, or you'll be able to find someone. This is one of those things we talked about before, Christian. Like, my opinion is, you actually don't need to have it figured out before you arrive. Uh, go and try first and see. Maybe you get there and you actually hate it. So, what was the point of researching for a year or six months and? getting everything set and then you show up and you're like, actually, I don't like this place at all. So yeah, I actually had some friends that did that. It was a couple from Seattle and they had planned out their whole digital nomad year, uh, like everywhere they would go, like a different place every month, but they did it before they ever left the US. And like the first three or four places they went to, they hated it, but they couldn't leave because oh, no. they had already paid in advance. Like they went to a co-living space in Miami that they didn't like, one in Malta that they didn't like. And I've done that too a couple of times where I've like paid for rent upfront in cash. And then I'm like, oh shoot, I don't really like it here. Um, so I actually met them in Bulgaria and then they had like just lost the money. Like they canceled a bunch of extra stuff and they stayed in Bulgaria longer because they really liked it. And they were saving money anyway, living there. So yeah, um, it can be tempting to plan everything in advance, but 
that's part of the beauty of travel is like going with the flow and figuring it out For sure. as you go. So having that flexibility where you, you're not expected to know all the answers, you can kind of make it up as you go along. One of the other things that you touched on earlier was making friends. I know that a lot of people, one of their biggest fears when they go overseas or start traveling internationally is, you know, they're not going to know anyone. They're not going to, they're going to be lonely. They're not going to be able to make any friends. What's been your experience with this? My experience has been that I feel like I've met more people solo traveling than I would had I never left home or had I been traveling with somebody else. So I have traveled with friends. I I rarely meet people more than like in a bar or something if I'm traveling with a group of friends because there's just too, you know, I'm already with too many people. And when I'm with a significant other, I also tend to like spend more time with that person. But when I travel by myself, I feel like I just feel a lot more free to meet people and just kind of do what I want every day. And a long time ago, you had to meet people also in real life. And like the way most people meet is through mutual friends, right? Or at work or something like that. But when you're abroad, if you don't know anyone in that country and you don't work with anyone physically, then you need to either go to co-working spaces or go to events. Um, there's a lot of meetups. I mean, of course, during the pandemic, maybe things are different, but um, I've used meetup.com a lot. I've used a small world app. Um, I've used dating apps a lot. I mean, life got a lot easier after dating apps because <laughs> <laughs> there's even like friend apps like Bumble, BFF. And with all of those, I kind of feel like I almost meet too many people. Mm-hmm. Like if you join a co-working space or, or go to a conference, like if you go to one expat or digital nomad or travel conference, you will meet like 200 people. And I can't even keep up with with everybody. And then the longer you travel, the more you start seeing the same people in different places, or you realize that you can look on Facebook and type in like my friends who live in Mexico City and like five people will come up that you didn't even know live there. And so it just takes some time. But if you start off your digital nomad journey in like a co-living space or or working at a co-working space or going to a conference or events or something like that with like-minded people, there's Nomad Summit, there's Nomad Cruise, there's all sorts of events, you will meet a lot of remote workers. But if you want to go more the expat route, you just have to do like normal daily life stuff, like join the running club. Um, go to the farmer's market, <laughs> you know, like uh, volunteer. Yeah. Any type of clubs. I've seen that for sure. If you can have a hobby, if you like, or even if you you don't have a hobby, make up a hobby and join some type of a club and you'll, you'll meet the locals. Go play squash, go play golf, go find the local basketball team and see if you can sign up. I mean, any type of sport or hobby, I would definitely... Uh, vote for that one. I think that's great. Oh, Internations is really good too. Do you ever use that or in the past maybe? Um, actually, my mother has been a big Internations Internations, or she's gone to tons of events here in Panama, in Abu Dhabi, when she lived there with us. Um, I've not used it too much myself, but I have heard very good things. The, the big ones for me were Meetup. We did a ton of Meetups. Yeah, lots of meetups. I went to an amazing dinner party at somebody's house in Berlin one time through a meetup. 
And then one of the guys at that dinner party, I ran into him at the airport in Paris and then at a club in Barcelona, like just saw him randomly. Like you just never know. Um, so there's that. And then there's also Facebook groups now and like, well, Reddit sort of, there's also like digital nomad forums and stuff, but there's a lot of expat Facebook groups either globally or for each destination. So you can join like digital nomads, Lisbon or like different cities. And then you can just plug right into the pre-existing community that's there. Uh, and I remember 10 more than 10 years ago. Oh my God, it's been so long. Maybe 14 years ago, I was big into couch surfing and hosted like hundreds of people and then used it to travel as well. And they started groups and I would meet other couch surfers who were also living in Australia or New Zealand. And then they would bring around their guests. So we would go out for dinner or a party or something like that. And they would bring their guests from Europe or from North America or Asia or whatever. And then you would, that would give you an opportunity to meet other locals as well as meet people from foreign countries. And I mean, that was an amazing experience for me. Oh yeah, that's fun too. You could do like shared Airbnbs, hostels, couch surfing. There's really so many creative ways now to meet people. And I actually find that I think a lot of, not the expats necessarily, because they're kind of more in their day-to-day -day routine. So they'll have like the expat meetups and, you know, wherever you are, Panama or Costa Rica or whatever. One time I went and made sushi. <laughs> we like learned how to make sushi with a bunch of expats in San Jose, Costa Rica, of like all <laughs> ages, shapes, sizes. Um, but I, I find that a lot of digital nomads that are, uh, especially that are new to the lifestyle, but maybe just in general, a lot of them spend, I think, an inordinate amount of time socializing compared to like normal people. <laughs> because if, like in your regular job, if you're working five days a week, 40, 50, 60 hours a week, like you're only going to be hanging out with whoever you live with, whoever you work with, and maybe whoever you see at like happy hour or the gym. I yeah. don't think it's Weekend necessarily- warriors. Yeah, like it's not normal to socialize every single day the way that a lot of the digital nomads do or like to meet so many people per month. I think there's like limits to how much you can do. So I think if people are scared, that's like a very big fear. I get that a lot in my Facebook group, but I just assure them that you're probably going to end up with more friends. Well, you definitely will end up with more friends and more contacts than you started with in your radius from your hometown. Oh, absolutely. My mom has way more friends than I do. My mom goes to internation events, like once again, before this coronavirus. But I mean, she was out two, three times a week on those types of groups and meetups and doing different things and going out and hanging out. And it was like, good, go have fun. Like, Go enjoy, Where does she make live? friends. She lives with me in Panama. Oh, okay, that's right. Oh, wow, yeah, yeah. she's must my, be having my, my a mother blast. helps take care of my. Oh, she's she loves it. She loves it because she helps care for my daughter, who's four years old now. So it's a great opportunity for her to to get out of Canada. She was with us for a couple of years in Abu Dhabi. Um, we were lucky enough; we never had to hire a babysitter or anything like that. When my daughter was born, my mother's no, sorry, my wife's mother came out for seven months, and then after that, my mother came out, and she's been with us ever since. 
And I mean, she's learning Spanish now. She's super popular. She has so many friends and she's 60 plus. I mean, that's amazing. And she's near her favorite son, of course. Um, I hope my brother listens to this episode (laughs) (laughs) and her granddaughter, you know, so that's an opportunity in herself. Um, And I think that's amazing. That's such an underrated aspect of the kind of expat lifestyle. And my mom was talking about doing that too when she graduates or when she graduates, when she retires, she's a nurse to move um, closer to my brother and his daughter in California. But yeah, to be able to like spend more time with your family members that most people only get to see them at Christmas time or something like that, that is priceless. Well, and then I took my mother to Uganda with me, hiking in Uganda, um, right next to the Congo. So we could go visit the mountain gorillas. I've took her, I've taken her to Austria to visit my friend who was the ambassador to Austria and stay with him. She's been to Switzerland with me, um, Singapore. She went to Japan with my wife once. Uh, we took her to China with us. Um, like my mom's traveled wow. heaps, heaps, heaps. And this was all like later in life. Yeah. Yeah. She traveled lots when she was young as well. But I mean, now she's just traveled so much with me. If I've had to go for conferences or if I'm speaking, you know, she can come along for that. Um, business meetings, she'll tag around for a couple of days because my mom's so easygoing and relaxed. So it's like, okay, we're going to do this. Great. We're going to do that great. You know, she's not demanding in any way. And she understands that I have a career in a business that I'm running. Yeah. So, I mean, if your parent is easygoing like that, um, invite them along. It's fun because I mean, it's such an opportunity to spend with your parents that, you know, maybe a lot of people don't think about. And I think that having a grant for those with families or kids, having the grandparent there to help with the child is like the absolute best. Just because you don't yeah, live, yeah, and they get to bond. Oh, exactly. My daughter sleeps. My my daughter and my mother sleep in the same room together. So I mean, they have such a close bond. I think my my daughter is probably closer to my mom than she is to anyone else in the family. Aww, yeah, that is amazing. And I I used to have my mom come visit me like at least once a year, and because of the nature of my lifestyle, I could also travel with her. Like we went to Europe quite a few times. Um, when I, even when I worked in real estate, cause I could take off like a month and go travel and then come back to work. And, and I have, you know, just so many memories. Now my brother came to visit me in Nicaragua. My sister came a few times, my cousins, my cousin and her roommates came and, and vice versa. I would go post up at some, I have cousins in London, New York, Sweden. So anytime I was in that city for business or pleasure, I would just stay longer and hang out with my family member or friends who lived there and just work at the same time. And so, yeah, maybe I wasn't on vacation all of the time, but having that flexibility to be able to stay like a couple of weeks in London at my, uh, at my cousin's house, like otherwise I wouldn't see her cause I would be clocking in at my, you know, office building. Yeah. And, and this just goes back to the point that you made and I made earlier that you know, there's really no rules to this. You know, we can just kind of make it up. I don't know how many digital nomads bring their mom in tow with them around the world, (laughs) but I do, and it works for me. Um, So, I mean, I give you guys permission. If if that's what you need to be be able to make this thing happen, you know, 
I say it's okay. Go out there and do it. The, the joke is you really don't need anyone's permission. You know, you can do anything you want as long as it's honest and ethical. You're not hurting anyone. Go out there, explore, enjoy, have some adventure. Life is so short. Yeah. And this, this uh, pandemic has made that even more palpable. I was uh, speaking with one of my best friends in Costa Rica and she has really big online coaching business and nutrition company. And she spends a lot of the year between Lisbon and Bali, but she's been quarantined in Costa Rica the whole time. Well, since the lockdown started in March and we were just saying how, I think we met in 2007 and we were saying like how, how fortunate we feel to have like been able to travel before the pandemic, not knowing that it was going to come and that it was going to change things, but also hoping that people who didn't travel before, who really wanted to, are like waking up to the fact that they might not have as much time as they thought to do the things that they wanted to do because maybe those countries, the borders are closed or you know, we don't know what's going to happen next. So I just hope that everybody embraces what is possible after this, because I know that I had a lot of places on my bucket list that I was like, yeah, I'll get there eventually. And now I'm like, oh, I'm not so sure because, you know, like it might be five years before I can go to that place or whatever. Yeah. And I would add to that, wherever you guys are and you're listening to this, if you are digital nomads, if you are traveling, Enjoy your time there and take advantage of it. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day who's a digital nomad and he decided to spend the quarantine in Aruba. And then he was saying, oh, I'm thinking about changing and moving here. And I'm like, make the most of your time. If you've got 90 days or whatever your visa is, use the entire amount of time because your chances of going back there again are probably slim to none. Like there's some countries that I've been to dozens of times, but there's lots of countries that I've been to once and that's it. And I enjoyed my time while I was there, but I, I will never go back, you know? So think that through before you decide to get on another plane and move somewhere else. You might not have another chance to, to go back. There was um, a music festival that was in, it was the first year of the music festival. It's called Tomorrowland Winter. And it was in the French Alps last March. And I had never heard of this company, Tomorrowland, but apparently they have festivals in Europe. And my sister sent me the link like a year before it launched. And she's like, do you want to go to this? And I said, yes. I say yes to everything. (laughs) People are like, do you want to meet me in Manila on my business trip? I'm like, yeah, I'll see you there. Do you want to meet me in Croatia and go sailing? Yeah, sure. So I have a habit of doing that. But eventually she canceled because she's a lawyer, she works a lot and you know, she just couldn't get away from where I work a lot too, but I'm just remote. So she couldn't get off work. Um, so I had another digital nomad friend who is an IRS enrolled agent, Canadian living in can no living in Ireland. I met her at the nomad summit in Las Vegas. We were both speaking at the event. We became friends and I asked if she wanted to come because we had one spot open. She went, we had we had so much fun and that was the first year that they had it. So we're like skiing and snowboarding in the French Alps, listening to music, like outside in the snow. It was incredible. We met so many people from around the world. 
And then after that, directly after I went to a bachelorette party in another part of the French Alps, like a few hours away, and then like came back home, like didn't think anything of it, just was like, that was a great experience. I was considering going again this year because I had so much fun, but then I decided not to. And then it got canceled because it like during coronavirus. And I was like, wow, not only did it get canceled, but they might never be able to hold that festival again because it's like thousands of people in one room or in one tent and not to mention like the bachelorette party and like my friend's wedding in Scotland, like all of these things would have been canceled this year. And it was just very eerie and like unnerving to think that like, I'm really glad that I said yes to those things, even though they were out of my way, (laughs) they were expensive and, you know, they weren't very productive uses of my time, but it was a lot of fun. And now I feel like, wow, I might never get to experience like a music festival again. You know, I don't want to be morbid about it, but you just never know. So. But I think that also brings up an other interesting point because people have to understand when you start living this type of lifestyle, you're the majority of the money that you will be spending is on experiences opposed to stuff. Like, like if you don't have a huge house, you don't need to buy all this stuff to fill it with. I mean, if you're traveling or even spending three months, six months, a year in one place, you know you're probably not going to need to buy anything. You go to furnished places, you do uh, Airbnb that are already done, you do long-term rentals. I mean, you have that money to spend on the experiences. And then it's the memories and how it affected you as a human being. That's, I think, at the core what this is all about. There was also some science that came out, some type of research. Um, I'm Googling it right now. (laughs) There is something about um, buying experiences and not things. Uh, People might remember it. It kind of went viral at the time, but there was just like all these studies coming out saying that experiences are more fulfilling than stuff. But like, spoiler alert, we already knew that there's so many, like the old adage, money doesn't buy happiness. And it's true. Like if you buy new things then they're not new anymore, but these experiences and these memories, whether it's even the bad ones, when you, you know, you have food poisoning and you're like throwing up on the side of the road in Mexico <laughs> or you, you're yeah, I'm tire. guessing that one's from experience. Yeah. Like in a flat tire in Nicaragua, like don't have a car for a month. Like there's all these other things that happen, but those are the things that build character. And then like these experiences outside of your comfort zone are the ones that you're definitely going to remember. So I guess the, the, the last piece or, you know, cause I don't want to get into, you know, how to build an online business. We've had tons of those types of interviews on here. And I think that they're amazing. I would encourage people to go back through our, what, about a hundred episodes now of the expat money show and check out those ones. But what I want to do to kind of bring this full circle is maybe talk a bit about the communities and not from the visa side or from the online to make friends side, but where are those locations that you would call like expat hotspots or digital nomad hotspots where people gather? Yeah, that's a great question. There are a lot of hotspots coming on board in the past recent years. I would say that, um, let's start over in North America, I guess. The most, I mean, there's expat communities in every major city, I would say, like whether you go to Hong Kong or Guadalajara or something, you can find an expat community there. But the digital nomad communities that have cropped up are 
in Playa del Carmen, Mexico is a really big one. It's started actually in 2000, no, 2011, 2012, when I started my relocation company, which is called Poker Refugees. And when a lot of US poker players were forced to move abroad because of changes in regulation, a few poker pros moved to Playa del Carmen and settled there and then brought like a hundred of their friends <laughs> with them. And now it's become a big digital nomad hotspot. And it's because these hotspots that attract digital nomads, they typically have good weather, a low cost of living, fast internet, and then that community factor and typically other amenities and you know good infrastructure. So Playa del Carmen is one. In South America, Medellin has turned into a really popular digital nomad hub. What a beautiful Buenos, place. Yeah, City of Spring, um, Buenos Aires as well, which is a bit farther off the map, but they have a really active um, digital nomad and co-working community, or they used to, with a lot of activities. Very metropolitan, very international city. I don't think there's really any in Canada to speak of. I don't know. Do you know of any there? I I am the least Canadian Canadian. I know so little about my country of birth. Although I've lived in a half a dozen different places, it's been many, many years. So I'm I'm the wrong person to ask on that yeah. one. <laughs> in Costa Rica, I think there's expats everywhere, but Malpais and um, Santa Teresa area is pretty popular as well as Nosara in Playa Guiones. And then over in Europe, Lisbon is definitely the winner. I have tons of friends in Portugal for sure. Yeah, like all throughout Portugal, there's just nomads everywhere. And Lisbon has become like a massive hub. I think it's partly to do with having tech conferences there as well. Yep. Um, so that's been really popular. And then over in Asia, we have uh, Chiang Mai, Thailand, Bangkok, Copanyan, but a lot of different areas in Thailand. Um, Bali, Changu, I'm, a lot of people have probably heard of that, uh, which is just north of Kuda. That's a really popular area. Bansko, Bulgaria has become a popular hotspot. It's a mountain town a couple hours from Sofia. They have co-working Bansko is there. And so these places like Playa del Carmen, Changu, uh, Chiang Mai, all of these places have at least 100 or more quote unquote, digital nomads there at any given moment. And they pretty much all like know each other. And some of them might have thousands. Well, I know like Chiang Mai is like, it's like, that is Chiang Mai. Like I just, there's every night you could go to a meetup or some type of group event for digital nomads and building your business, whether that's drop shipping or online training or coaching and consulting. Or, I mean, it's like a Mecca for digital nomads. Yeah. I went actually during the burn season back in like 2013 and I did not meet a single digital nomad, but I feel like I went during the wrong time. You went in that very short period of time where you're not supposed to go. Yeah. Everyone had just <laughs> left. And I was like, I don't get the big deal about Chiang Mai. It's, I, you know, I haven't met any cool people. It was really hot and full of smoke. <laughs> so, um, but then another option for people is to enter with one of these roaming digital nomad communities. So there's um, Wi-Fi Tribe, Hacker Paradise, Remote Year, Work Wanderers. And then there's the Nomad Cruise, which has actually 
organized houses and like co-living spaces. And then in each of the digital nomad hubs, like Chengu, for example, there's a lot of like digital nomad, unofficial nomad houses or co-living spaces also all throughout Portugal. There's like co-work surf. Oh, Morocco is another big one where they have like a co-working space with co-living. So you could also just do like a one month or a couple weeks at one of the, um, digital nomad retreats or remote work retreats. Also unsettled is another one. And then you could go from there and explore, um, you know, meet some people and then you could stay or you can go do what you want. Heaps of options, heaps of options. And I, like I said earlier, I'll try to make sure I include as many of links as possible in the show notes for Kristen's episode at expatmoneyshow.com. Oh, it's South Africa too. Sorry, Cape Town. South Africa? Cape Town, South Africa. That's the other. I knew I was forgetting one. Yeah. And then I think Georgia is quite a big one as well. We kind of talked about the visa for that one, but I know tons of people who have been in and out of Georgia and set up their businesses there and their banking there and use that as a hub uh, to, uh, to build their business as well. There's just so many options out there. Yeah. I just tell people to make sure that you're choosing a place based on what you want, because it can be really easy to go to a place, meet people, and then get swept up in all the excitement into where they're going next. And so, you know, just remember to keep, keep your own wants and needs and dreams and ideas in mind so that you're not living someone else's digital nomad life. Yeah. I saw that with backpacking for sure. It was like, I would make friends and then be like, okay, you want to go here? Yep. Okay. You want to go there? Nope. Okay. Bye. It's like you travel. Sometimes I travel with someone for a couple of days. Someone, sometimes I would travel with someone for several months. And I think that being open was, was a great opportunity to, to see new places. Um, but yeah, if you have, if you have a dream or place that you really want to go and see, then, you know, it's okay to say goodbye. You're going to meet someone else. You're going to meet new friends or someone else on the road that you can spend your time with. Exactly. Perfect. I love it. Super interesting conversation, Kristen. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your knowledge and your expertise. Um, If my listeners want to find out more about what you do, if they want to watch your YouTube channel, if they want to check out your podcast, where can we send them? Um, You can come on over to Badass Digital Nomads, which is my weekly podcast and the name of my Facebook group. And I have two YouTube channels, um, youtube.com slash digital nomad, and also traveling with Kristen. That's K-R-I-S-T-I-N. And then I'm traveling with Kristen everywhere else, travelingwithkristen.com, Instagram. And for more about my courses and freebies and help finding remote jobs, people can go to digitalnomadbootcamp.com. Perfect. I love it. Thank you so much, Kristen. We'll talk soon, okay? Sounds good. Thank you so much. Hi, Kristen here. I hope you enjoyed this guest episode of the Expat Money Show podcast here on Badass Digital Nomads. Make sure to check out their website and the show notes page for more. You can also check out more of Mikkel's work at escapeartist.com. And big congrats to Mikkel and his team on their 100th podcast episode. See you all next week. And until then, stay badass.